Welcome, everybody, to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. I was just, I, I got one of these before I came up. I got to say, these are really cool. This one says, like, what's, so what's the practical? Every week we focus on, well, you know what the practical is. You've been here before. But these are great. So pick up some, hand them out like that, not like tracks or anything weird, but just like, you know, keep them in your pocket or whatever. When people ask where you go to church, you can give it to them. Anyway. If this is your first time here, welcome. My name is John. I am the lead pastor around here. And we're kicking off this brand new series that we're calling Chasing Happiness. Now, if you were here last week for that record attendance, it was like 184, I think. There was rows and it was, it was wild. It was so encouraging. It was amazing. But at the end of that service, um, if you were paying attention, because I know basically no one pays attention at the end, but neither do I. You're thinking about brunch and bottomless mimosas and all that. But if you happen to have listened to what I said, I said, come back next week because we're going to be kicking off a brand new series. And then I said, it's going to be called World Changers. And of course, you don't remember this, but I said World Changers. And what I was going to do is I was going to have a, a, this conversation about this piece of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. And in this, in Hebrews chapter 11, it goes through what is commonly called the faith hall of fame. These people that through their faith changed our world. And I go, this is going to be a great opportunity for us as a church to just sort of dive into the Old Testament, dive into sort of these characters, find out who they are, what makes them tick. We were going to make it very academic. We have Bibles that were donated. We were going to have them on the chairs. There was going to be homework. And it was just diving deep. And it was going to be a great opportunity for growth. And Monday and Tuesday. I was working on this, and I was focusing on Cain and Abel, a great story, if you don't know Cain and Abel, a, a story of firsts, the first murder, the first brothers, the first people who, who, who had faith, great, great story. And then Tuesday, about 2 or 3 in the afternoon, I was just taking a breather from World Changers, and I went on Facebook, as many of us do, and I was just kind of perusing, and, and I, I saw a post that one of my friends put up, and it struck me. And I asked her if I, could, if I could show you guys. She said, yes, I'll, you know, I won't put her name up. But she posted a, a beautiful picture of the ocean over here in Fort Lauderdale. And she said this. She said, pull it up for them. She said, in a world of constant disappointment and heartbreak, happiness is still a choice. Thank you, God, for making it easier for me to choose happiness. And I was reading this, and I go, you know, that's a lot of wisdom in this, probably a lot more than she really even recognized. I don't know if she thought a lot about it. I don't know. Maybe she did. But I was like, this is, I think she's starting a conversation here that, that we actually need to continue at Downtown Harbor Church on a Sunday. Because, listen, the Old Testament, it's not going anywhere. But I think for us, there's a more pressing issue. And I think she's landed on it here. Because when I speak to my friends, when I speak to my family, when I see what's going on on social media, on Facebook, when I see the posts that we put on Instagram, when I even see sort of the memes that we send each other behind, like joking memes, it sure seems like we are all just chasing after happiness. And we do it in so many ways. We chase after happiness with our careers. We chase after happiness with food, with exercise. We chase after happiness with our bank accounts. We, ch we chase after happiness with travel and None of these things are bad. They're all good things. But the question that I thought we should answer is, what does God have to say about happiness? What does this scripture have to say about, about chasing after happiness? What, what is this great holy book and this heavenly father, what do they say about what it looks like in our lives to actually attain happiness? So that's the conversation that I want to have with you guys for the next three weeks. And we'll put world changers off 
for a different day because I think this is more important right now. So to kick off this conversation, I want to show you a T-shirt that I saw. And before I put this shirt up on the screen, you need to know a couple of things. This is a real T-shirt, okay? This is not an ironic T-shirt. This is a T-shirt that someone designed, that someone else printed. Someone is selling this T-shirt. Presumably people are buying this T-shirt, which lets me, you know, leads me to believe that there are people walking around with this T-shirt. Take a look at this T-shirt. Do more of what makes you and happy is crossed off and says holy. Do more of what makes you holy. Now, if you are somebody who has walked away from Christianity, if you are somebody who has sort of given up on the local church, if I were a betting man, I would bet perhaps part of it is because of T-shirts like this. And I don't know exactly what this person was driving at. I think they were trying to make some sort of like, you know, when you live your life, don't live a sort of a hedonistic lifestyle. Don't, don't be some sort of libertine and, and pursue God. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But I think what this T-shirt does is it spotlights a mindset that exists in the local church. It puts a spotlight on this attitude that I, I, I believe exists heavily in the local church, in Christianity, particularly in America, and it's this, that happiness and holiness are mutually exclusive. That you can't be a follower of Jesus and still be happy. That you can't pursue the things of God and still be happy. That if you want to be a good Christian, and happiness needs to go on the back burner. Now, I'm going to reach into my bag of tricks for a second, go all the way back to false memory, and just let you guys know that this is false, okay? This is false. You can 100% be happy and still be a Christian. That is possible. And I'll double down. You could be normal and be a Christian, okay? You can be a happy, normal Christian. That, I know you've heard stories about that. It's kind of like the Loch Ness Monster. You're like, I, I've heard they exist. I've seen some grainy pictures of happy, you know, normal Christians, but like I've just, I've never really seen one out in the wild. They're there. They're, they're, they exist. It is a real thing. A few of you happen to be at this church. And interestingly enough, Jesus says, he makes the claim that he knows more about happiness than anybody else. And if Jesus is God, and we here at Downtown Harbor Church believe that Jesus is God, and if God designed happiness, if God created joy, then maybe we might want to listen to what God has to say about attaining happiness. So Jesus sort of um, couches this conversation in happiness in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you were here in week one of our last series, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount a little bit, and we talked about practical, biblical teaching. And what we learned is that the Sermon on the Mount is one long message about things that you need to do if you want to see your faith grow. And if you want to see the God's activity in your life, these are the things that you need to be doing. You can't just listen to them. You can't just nod your head at them. You need to be doing these things. And so Jesus kicks off the Sermon on the Mount, this most famous sermon he has ever given, and he kicks it off by talking about what are known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are just short little sound bites, just one or two sentence long sound bites. Um, and every single one of these Beatitudes begins with the word blessed, or as we would sort of pronounce it, blessed. Now, the thing with the word blessed is that it has sort of a connotation as Americans. We think about like, oh, be blessed. You know, God blesses, whatever that, you know, sort of means. We don't exactly know. But the word that's used in the Greek is this word makarioi. 
makarioi. And when you begin to find out what this word makarioi actually means, I, believe, I, I feel like the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly the Beatitudes, takes on a whole new meaning. Because when Jesus says the word blessed, what he's actually saying is happy and fortunate. Happy and fortunate. And what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes, and we're going to be taking a look at it today, is Jesus is giving you steps to do. That if you want to begin to invite happiness into your life, if you want to begin to cultivate happiness in your life, these are the things that you need to be doing. And when it comes to happiness, for Jesus, it's not the kind of happiness that you get when, you know, you go to a movie. It's not the kind of happiness you go when you, when you go to a great party, because those things will make you happy for a time. What Jesus is talking about is this happiness that is a deep, abiding, almost emotional, borderline spiritual state. So it kicks off in Matthew 5, this great discussion on happiness. And it starts off, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach. So in this moment, he's not referring specifically to the 12 disciples. He's talking to the group at large who are now his followers. It's a much larger group that he's calling disciples. And he just jumps right into the teaching, these beatitudes. And he says this, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He just comes right out of the gate, swinging. And what I love what Jesus does here, he's so smart. He chooses words that I think almost trip us up when we hear them. Because he chooses a word here that I think begins to put, at least in our own mind when we hear this, it begins to put a spotlight on the greatest happiness myth that's out there, that money makes you happy. That for, that for some of us, we believe that, that, that being rich, that rich people are happy. Or, or sometimes on the other side, we believe that, that being poor, that's what makes you happy. But what Jesus is saying here, he goes, no, no, rich, being rich doesn't make you happy. Being poor doesn't make you happy. Do you know who happy people are? Happy people are those that are poor in spirit. And that's not really a phrase that that we understand. So we're kind of like, we kind of lean in and we go, well, what what does that mean when you say, what does that mean when you say poor in spirit? And Jesus says, people that are poor in spirit are happy because they understand that whatever they have in this life comes from God, that they are completely dependent upon God from, from their health to their wealth even to their salvation. Happy people embrace daily their dependence on their heavenly father. And the reason that being poor in spirit makes you happy, the reason this sort of dependence and recognition of our dependence on God makes you happy is because it lifts the burden, or pardon me, it shifts the burden of life off of ourselves and onto God. And it's not that we're no longer gonna work hard, it's not that we're not going to take responsibilities for our life. It's, that it's, it's almost like releasing a pressure valve, loosening the grip on your life and understanding that God's got this. God's in control. I can trust God. I can lean on God. Now, at a spiritual level, because I think what Jesus actually is doing here is driving it more at a spiritual level, he's saying, happy are those who understand that they can't work their way to God. 
Happy are those who understand that their good works, that they can't do enough to, to bridge this gap that is between them and their heavenly Father. Happy are those that understand that faith is what makes things right. That is what poor in spirit means. And that is such a freeing notion to have complete reliance on God in all aspects of your life. He continues. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Imagine that happier those who mourn, he says, for they will be comforted. What does he mean by that? I believe what Jesus is driving at here is that happier those people who face death straight on. They don't run from it. They don't hide from it. They don't pretend like it's not happening. They just understand that, that death is just a, a part of life and they make peace with it. Have you ever met a person who really isn't afraid of dying? They don't, they don't really think much about death at all. For them, it's just like, yeah, you know, one day you die. No big, you know, not a big, I don't really think much about it. I don't put too much stock in it. It's just, it's a part of what being human is. Now, as somebody who is a hypochondriac, okay, that shocks me, all right? I've already thought about how I'm gonna die twice since I've been up here, okay? So, it's true. But I mean, like, I look at these people and I go, you know, I'm, I'm a little jealous because it does appear as though they have some kind of peace that I don't have. And, and I think Jesus would say to me, well, yeah, John, that's true because they've landed on a principle that you have yet to figure out, that you have yet to embrace. And it's this, that the fear of dying will rob you of the joy of living. And I don't need to un unpack this for you. You just read this and you just know exactly what this means. Now, if you're a person who is constantly on the run from death, if you're a person that's doing everything they can to avoid death, to pretend like it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen to me, I can do this, I can do that, I don't want to think about it, we're going to go to the funeral, we'll go quick, we'll sign in, we'll show our face, we're going to get out of there. If this is the life that you're living, Jesus says, you're just going to suck the joy out of life, right? Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who is a German pastor, I should say, who was a German pastor, who was involved in trying to take down the Nazis, said something amazing about death. He said this, why are we so afraid when we think about death? Death is only dreadful for those who live in dread and fear of it. Death is not wild and terrible, if only we can be still and hold fast to God's word, he continues. Death is not bitter, if we have not become bitter ourselves. Death is grace. It's the greatest gift of grace that God gives to people who believe in him. Jesus is saying, happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who understand that there is more to life than just this life. Happy are those who mourn. Jesus is not done. He continues. He said, blessed, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, this is pretty much one of my favorite Beatitudes. And the reason I like this one so much is because we just completely misunderstand it, okay? As Americans, when we hear the word meek, we immediately think weak because they kind of sound the same, meek, weak. And so we picture, you know, little children or we picture people kind of cowering. Or we sort of picture oppressed people groups, and when we read this, we see, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We think that sort of Jesus is saying, you know, th those who are now oppressed in this life, who are on the bottom, well, guess what? There's going to come a time when the tables are going to get turned. And those who are on top are going to be on the bottom. And those who are on the bottom, the meek ones in our society, they, 
they are going to be the ones who will inherit the earth. That's not what it says at all. That's not what meekness means at all. I'm going to give you a definition for meekness that is not sort of from the Greek dictionary because that is very long and involved. I'm going to just going to give you sort of the uh, New Jersey Italian definition of meekness because honestly, you'll never forget this and this will change the way that you understand this beatitude because what Jesus is saying here actually is quite profound. So here is the New Jersey Italian definition of meekness. Meekness is having the ability to destroy someone and choosing not to. That's it. It is, it is when you are wronged, when you've been insulted, when you've been challenged, okay? It is having the absolute ability to destroy someone, okay? It, 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 you, like, you have the ability to choose someone out verbally. You have the ability to beat someone up physically. You have the ability to decimate someone academically. You're full of rage. You're full of anger, and don't miss this. You are justified for the way that you feel because you have been wrong, and you have the ability to destroy someone, and you choose not to. You choose not to do anything, but here's the most important part of meekness. Instead of you handling the situation, you trust God to handle it. Happy people are those that recognize that it is God's job to right the wrongs in our life. Happy people are those that, that trust God to vindicate them. Happy people understand that God is for them and not against them. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus here. Jesus is not saying, blessed are, happy are the doormats. What Jesus is saying here is, happy are the people, okay? Happy are the people that can control their emotions, that don't allow themselves to get whipped up in a frenzy and release it all into God's hands, waiting on God, waiting on God for guidance as to handle how to handle this situation. Blessed are the meek. It's a whole new way of looking at it. He continues, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Essentially what Jesus is driving at here is he goes, Blessed are those who just choose to do the right thing. See, I think as adults, we forget about the freeing notion of just doing the right thing. You look at children, they live in a world of right and wrong. It's just right and wrong, and there's something so freeing about living in a world of right and wrong, black and white. But as adults, we, we, we sort of have left this world behind, and, and we live in a very gray world. But Jesus is saying that, when you begin to move yourself back into the right and the wrong, when you choose to just do the right thing, you know what you don't have? You don't have regret. When you just choose to do the right thing, you know what you don't have? You don't have guilt, and your conscience is clear. When you think back over your life and you think about the biggest regrets of your life, just for a moment, just think about those things that you wish had never happened, the biggest mistake, the biggest regret. Isn't it true? It didn't happen from doing the right thing. It happened from doing the wrong thing. You knew the difference between right and wrong, and you chose to just do the wrong thing. Jesus is saying, you know what? Here's my advice. If you want to be happy, you just need to choose to do the right thing. It's not always easy. It's not always popular. But when you begin to stray away from just doing what is right, your life, it gets messy. And messy lives are not happy lives. He continues. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Do you know what mercy is? A good sort of working definition of mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. So like, let's say, for example, you get arrested, you get thrown in jail, you find yourself before the judge, and, and you know what the punishment is for your crime, but you say to the judge, judge, listen, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, judge. Don't give me that which I deserve. That is mercy. And what I think Jesus here is doing in this moment, I think he's looking at this crowd, and I think he's challenging us, and he goes, guys, my challenge to you is to live a relationally merciful life. I think Jesus would say, happier those who don't seek revenge. Happier those who don't hold a grudge. Happier those who forgive. I mean, have you ever met a happy person who holds grudges? No, they're brutal, okay? Have you ever met a happy, bitter person? No, they don't exist. What Jesus is saying here is that when you begin to extend mercy to the people around you, particularly those who have wronged you, peace will enter into your life and you will find happiness. Let me just do a quick exercise and I don't want to land on this for too long because it might get you agitated. But just for a moment, I want you to think about that person. Okay? And you know who I'm talking about. Just that person. Okay? Sort of the chief offender in your life from removing the happiness in your life. That when like your phone rings and it's their number, it's just like the blood pressure starts to go. When you see them on social media, when you interact with them in the office, okay, when you see them at a party, it's just, and isn't it true? They make your life miserable. They make your life difficult. And you stoop to their level. And you get into the mud with them. What would happen? What would happen? Just theoretically. If you extended mercy to that person, and you go, well, John, come on, you don't, you don't, you don't understand the situation that I'm in. Oh, I'm just saying. What would happen, just theoretically, if you forgave that person? You would say, oh, John, you don't understand what this person has done to me. You don't understand what they continue. Okay, fine. I don't, maybe I don't know your situation. What would it look like, theoretically? If you chose to serve that person, you'd be like, what? You have, you have lost, you have got, you have, look, I, listen, this is not me. This is Jesus. Jesus is saying, listen, nothing is going to change in your life until something changes in your life. So let's think about that person for a second. Here is a real question that I really want you to answer. Do you want to live in that situation longer than you have to? That, ugh. Do you want to live there? No. You want to be happy. You want to be happy. Jesus is saying, look, this is not a quick fix. This is not going to get fixed overnight. And what I'm asking you to do is counterintuitive. But if you want to see happiness in your life, if you want to see restoration in that relationship, you need to begin to extend mercy to those people just as your heavenly Father extended mercy to you. He continues, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I was studying this one all week more than any other ones because the more that I researched this, 
the more I learn. Jesus is saying so much here, but let me just sort of distill down my findings. Here's, here's what Jesus is saying. He's looking at this crowd and he goes, do you want to see God? And I think they would go, well, yeah, we would love to see God. He goes, no, no. Do you want to see God? Do you want to see the activity of God in your life? Do you want to see God's blessing in your life? And I think every single one of us would go, yeah, more than anything. I would love to see God in my life. I would love to see his blessings. I would love to see his activity. Yes, Jesus, more than anything. And he goes, all right, here's what you need to do. You need to be pure in your heart. See, for Jesus, your heart is everything. For Jesus, your heart is crucial because for Jesus, you are your heart. What he touches on in part here, he he talks about more in full later on in, in Matthew. But when Jesus is talking about your heart, here's what he describes. This is Jesus saying this. He goes, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. This is Jesus Christ talking about our hearts. He goes, you are your heart. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those that are pure of heart, what he's doing here, it's a call to purity. It's a call to ethical and moral purity. And when we as Americans, particularly in 2020, hear this word purity, it's like, right? You know, you don't, we don't like that word purity because purity, ooh, purity, that, that's like the opposite of happiness. Purity, that means sacrifice. Purity means missing out, and we don't want to miss out on anything. And Jesus looks at us and he goes, no, 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 no. Trust me, you're not missing out on a thing. And if you, he would say, listen, if you want to be pure in heart, if you remain pure in the areas in which your heavenly father and I have asked you to be impure in, he goes, you will see clearly and you will see God in your life. Blessed are the pure in heart. He continues, blessed, happy are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. When you read the Bible from start to finish, what you're going to see is it's one long story of our heavenly father trying to make peace with mankind, trying to fix this broken relationship to do whatever he can do to mend this broken bridge, this broken relationship between us and God. And what Jesus is saying here is this. When you are a peacemaker, when you try to make peace with those around you, you are acting like God. You will be seen as a child of God. Now, confession time. Um, In the Grippa house, we like reality television. Okay, we just, we like it. Now, we don't watch like The Bachelor. Okay? We watch like the high-end stuff, like on Bravo. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we watch it all. It's pretty much on all day long. For me, I like Below Deck. That is like, I just love that one. My wife, she's more of the connoisseur. It's like Vanderpump Rules, pretty much all the Real Housewives. You've got New Jersey. You've got New York. There's the OC. Dallas, that's the creme de la creme, okay? But because this, if you've watched it, you know what I'm talking about, but... And because these shows are basically always on in my house, I've seen a couple of things. And one of the things that has dawned on me 
is that a prerequisite for getting on one of these reality television shows, particularly a Real Housewives, particularly Dallas, is that you are not a peacemaker, okay? If you're not a peacemaker, they pave the way for you to come on. Now, if you want to see the greatest example of the opposite of happiness, you want to see misery, you just need to tune in to a reunion episode, okay? Again, I recommend Dallas because what you will see in a reunion episode is this. They invite these women after the season has aired, after they've all finally seen what they've said about each other, they bring them into a room, they put them on a couch, they fuel them up with Pinot Grigio, and then they, set, they set, sick them on each other. And I got to be honest with you, it's brutal. It is so bad sometimes that I actually go to my wife, I go, I can't, I can't watch this anymore. Like, I'll watch a movie where people are just shooting each other dead, but there's something about watching human beings tear each other apart that just, it's so, it's just so troubling and so bothersome to just see this conflict. And Jesus is saying, happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the reconcilers. Happy are the people that can step into a room like that and say, let's try to make this work. Let's try to repair the damage that has been done by our own behavior. Imagine, imagine if we just took Jesus' advice, how much better Thanksgiving would be, Christmas would be, all of those family holidays if we just tried to begin being peacemakers, children of God. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Imagine that. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me see if I can kind of distill this one down for you because it's a little complicated what he's trying to drive at here, but then we're done. What Jesus is saying here is this. In this life, in this life, you will suffer, you will be mistreated, and you'll be persecuted. You will suffer for even for ever having done the right thing, or you can suffer for doing the wrong thing. But you can only be happy on one side of this equation. So what Jesus is saying here is that when you suffer, when you are persecuted, when you are mistreated for doing the right thing, well, you can have at least peace with yourself, and you can have peace with God. But when you suffer for doing the wrong thing, you, you don't have peace with yourself. And, and you certainly don't have peace with God. So Jesus is saying, happy are those, happy are those who choose to do the right thing, who choose righteousness, even when it costs them, who choose to do the right thing, even when they might lose that job, who choose to do the right thing, even when it might ostracize them from the friend group, because Jesus was saying that when you choose to do the right thing, even when it costs you everything, you can still lay your head down at night on your pillow and have peace with yourself and have peace with God. And quite frankly, there's no better happiness than having peace with God. So Jesus wraps up this amazing conversation about happiness and I think if you begin to distill down everything that he says, you'll see this sort of common denominator that weaves itself through each and every single beatitude. And I think what Jesus is trying to get across to us is that happiness is an outcome. It's a result. 
It's about doing something now that results in something later. That it's more about something that's ultimate than immediate. That for Jesus, happiness, this thing that we are all chasing, isn't immediately accessible. Because Jesus, as good as he is, right, when he wrapped up this message, those people in that audience, they didn't hear and go, hey, guess what? I'm cured. I'm happy. I feel great. I'm so glad I went to hear the Sermon on the Mount because all of a sudden, everything in my life has changed. I am perfectly happy. That is not how happiness works. Because happiness is so much bigger than that, and happiness is so much better than that. The best way to think about happiness is to, is to think about farming. I know we got a lot of farmers in this room, so this analogy will make a lot of sense to you. Listen, try my best up here, okay? It's like farming, all right? Happiness with farming, it's about sowing something now, sowing seeds now that you cultivate, that you can reap at a later date. Happiness is the result of a process. Jesus wraps up this amazing Sermon on the Mount by saying something that if you were here for the last series, you're going to recognize. After listing off these Beatitudes, after talking about all the things that people need to do to be happy, he looks at these group of followers, these disciples, and he says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these Beatitudes of mine and puts them into practice, and that is the key word, right? He's saying, listen, it's not about just showing up. It's not about listening. It's not about hearing blessed be and nodding your head and going, mm, that's a good one. Yes, he nailed that one. No, he goes, you need to put it into practice if you want to see a difference in your life. He goes, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And building a house takes time. Building a house doesn't happen if you've ever built a house, and we got friends at this church right now that are in the process of just doing renovations, it takes a while. You can't just snap your fingers and it's done. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a process. But if you stick with it and you do your, and you do your due diligence and you work and you work, eventually, not immediately, but eventually something is built and it is amazing. But then Jesus gives us a warning. And you know what that warning is if you were here. Jesus says, therefore, or pardon me, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. He goes, guys, you can't expect anything to change in your life if you don't do anything. I, I, I have given you the seeds to happiness. I have shown you what to do with these seeds, but I can't force you to plant them. I can't force you to water them. I can't force you to cultivate them. I can only show you the way to happiness, but you are going to have to do that journey yourself. So with that in mind, what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this. If it's your first time at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So as I said, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, they're one gigantic 
practical. It's one long discussion about what you need to do if you want to have happiness, what you need to do if you want to see God's activity in your life. In these Beatitudes that we looked at today, the God of the universe has shown us the blueprint for happiness. He has given you a plan as to exactly what to do step by step. Let's look at it, right? He says, blessed are, happy are the merciful. Happy are the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, and those who just choose to do the right thing. These are the seeds of happiness. So let me ask you just a very pointed question. What kind of seeds are you sowing in your life? When you begin to sort of take stock of your life, particularly in the happiness department, do you look at a list like that and you go, yeah, that's, uh, it's no wonder I feel the way that I do. I, I, I've just missed the mark by so much when it comes to chasing after happiness. Well, here's the good news. Today, you can choose happiness. Jesus is inviting you to begin sowing the seeds of happiness today. You could leave today and say, you know what, today, I'm gonna start living a relationally merciful life. Today, I'm just gonna choose to do the right thing. You know what, you know, I've been living in gray for far too long. I'm just, today, I'm gonna start making peace. I'm gonna pick up that phone. I'm gonna call that person because like, you know what, our heavenly father extended me mercy. I need to start, I, I got, today, I'm gonna make a change. The God of the universe has done us an enormous favor by opening up his playbook. He's shown us exactly what to do. So the question is this, what will you choose to do? Because they can't do it for you. Jesus can only show you the way. But if you are someone who is chasing happiness, and I believe we all are, here it is. And by doing this, we can also bring glory to God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today and just have a conversation about happiness. Lord, it's an emotion that I believe we're all trying to chase after. But as you've shown us, Lord, it's something much bigger than that. It's a state of being. I pray, Lord, that today you would help us to choose happiness. I pray, Lord, that today we would take seriously the advice that you have given us about what it looks like to make changes in our life if we want to see changes in our life. Lord, if those in this room are struggling with sadness, I pray, Lord, that today we would feel your presence in a powerful way, perhaps in a way that we've never felt before. Lord, that you would put a spotlight perhaps on our thought patterns, perhaps on our attitudes, perhaps even on our behaviors. These areas that if we can focus on with your help, with time, and with cultivation, we can begin to see joy in life, perhaps for the first time in a very long time. 
Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you for the love of your son, Jesus Christ.